That was on me. All right, let's start over. Well, everybody, but those out there, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn and get there, that'd be good. Let's pray before we start. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're grateful for this time. We're grateful for the family that you've given us here at North Brevard. For this part of the body. It's represented in your son, Jesus, who's the head. Father, I just pray tonight as we look through the letter to the church of Corinth from Paul. God, that we think about it deeply. That we think about the ramifications that are prevalent and not just cultural. Father, and that we are not afraid to share. This is a difficult passage. So I pray that we have courage to speak what we think, what we see, what we hear through your scripture tonight. Father, just bless our conversation. We pray that through the wisdom of all of us that we uh, arrive in a place that's accurate with your word. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. The one they've been messing with me for about two weeks for. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, uh, it's a very interesting chapter. I don't plan on getting through the entire chapter tonight, although if we make really fast ground through the first part, maybe we'll attempt to do both. But the second half is on the Lord's Supper. So I don't want to cheapen that conversation, and I would, I would not mind splitting them into two weeks, but if for some reason we get through this part really fast, being the head coverings conversation, then, um, then we'll try to get through the Lord's Supper as well. All right, verse 1. I'm already getting interesting smiles. I can't help it up here. They're making me uh, <laughs> smile. Here we go. Be imitators of me. As I am of Christ. I just want to point out real quick, Paul is saying, hey, if you see Jesus in me, model me. And I actually want to encourage us all not to have a haughty attitude or a prideful attitude, but live in such a way that we could say to others, be imitators of me because I'm imitating Christ, right? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Verse 2, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. So here's the first question. We've got to get past these first two verses before we can move on. Is Paul being serious or sarcastic in verse 2? Interesting question, right? He spent a lot of the letter telling the church of Corinth how good they've been doing at everything. Is that what we've been reading? I don't think so. Yeah. That's what you think. I would agree with you, Mike. I do think there's some sarcasm in this. You've been doing so good. But there is something to consider, too, which is a lot of the conversation that they've had in 1 Corinthians has been about specific struggles, not so much about their worship yet. But I think when we get to worship... You're going to find out they weren't doing that, that all that great either, which is starting in the second half of chapter 11. So I agree with Mike. I think he's being a little sarcastic here. 
Okay, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head covered, uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Okay, we're going to go through this nice and slow. Let's start in verse 3. What scripture comes to mind when you see verse 3? For every, for the head of every man is Christ. That's not a foreign concept, right? Is not Christ the head of the church? Right? All right, what about the second part? The head of a wife is her husband. Is that a foreign concept? Mike? Can I start with the last one? Yeah. That the head of Christ is God? Yeah, go ahead. That was voluntary. It was, you're right, it was voluntary. Yeah, this wasn't something that God assigned him or said this is mandated because of your position. When, when Christ came to earth, he accepted this is what's needed and I need to be in subjection to God. So every time he spoke, he, he did what God told him to speak. And every time he did something, God told him to do it. start out with. Okay. This is a voluntary submission. Okay. Anybody else want to be brave? So I think when we're talking about heads, we think of um, authority, and I think that sometimes with authority, we have to discuss the idea of roles, and I think also when you deal with roles, you have to discuss the idea of equality. Right? And this is a big, big issue in our culture, which is why this conversation is going to be more uncomfortable for us to have than it might have been for even Paul to have when he wrote the letter. Okay? But here's the reality, and this is something I think we have to start acknowledging. It's something that we have to start discussing that God has given man and woman different roles, not Different equality, different roles. And I think you're going to see that as we get a little bit further into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. But there are different roles. And this is not a new concept. Let me say this too. Paul's not the only one that writes about this. Paul's not the only apostle who writes about this. The apostle Peter, I believe in the first, in 1 Peter chapter 3, writes about this idea as well. But I want to go back to what Mike said, because it's very important to understanding the whole argument, which is Ephesians, and I'm not great with book, chapter, and verse, but Ephesians 5, right, where he talks about this as well. The idea that Jesus was, in essence, God but did not consider himself equal with God. It wasn't that he wasn't God, he just didn't consider himself equal to God. In other words, he put God over himself. He became, God became the authority over Jesus Christ, right? And, and I don't know if that was something 
uh, from beginning to end because at the same time when we measure time, we're, we're speaking from human form, not from the form of God. But in that, it, it shows this voluntary um, decision to submit. Now, I, 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 I want to say this too before we move any further because I think it's important to just get it out. I think the issue that women are having with the idea of role inequality, some of it is being fed to us by the world. They say if we don't have the same role, we can't be equal. If I'm not able to excel to the highest place in this position or this organization, then I'm not being treated with equality, right? And I think that Paul's going to make the argument that there is a natural role for man and a natural role for woman, okay? But I also want to explain this too. There is a culture of head coverings. And the culture of head coverings establishes who is protecting the female. Because at this point in time, a woman needed protection from other men. We're going to get into that a little deeper as we get further down the scriptures as well. But just understand that this idea of head coverings is kind of foreign to us. Like idol worship, like going to the temple and eating meat, sacrificed idols. It's foreign to us. But it is very relevant to the church in Corinth. Let me ask you another question real quick before we get too far. In the Jewish tradition, who wears the head covering? The men, right? Think about that as we go forward too. This is not, I want to make sure we all understand, this is not about inequality. This is about roles from God. That's what it's about. Verse 5 says, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is shame." Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Does the, does the idea of a woman shaving her head ring a bell for anybody? Does it, Chuck? Go ahead, explain. Well, I remember when they wanted to expose the collaborators in France in World War II, they shaved their heads. Yeah. And all the women who were collaborators, they shaved their heads. Anybody else? Mike? This is in the Jewish law. Yeah, go ahead. I want to say Leviticus 5. That might be off a little bit. But it, it, when they cut off her hair, it signified she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And that you needed to steer clear of her if you're going to be loyal to God. So it's part of the Old Testament law. It is. It is also... For an adulterer, that they would shave her head if the husband saw fit. So, I want you to see all this as it's playing in, because the next few verses is where it's going to get really interesting. This is just the beginning. If you're already uncomfortable, just um, hold on tight, because it's going to get a little more uncomfortable before it gets better. Okay? For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for, her, for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her 
cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Any scriptures ringing a bell on this? Where's Paul coming from? Genesis. Yeah, he's coming from Genesis. What specifically? was made because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So he fashions Eve so that some of Adam's shortcomings are taken care of. So, to me this is a very important time to talk about the idea that man was made in a perfect creation and wasn't complete without woman. God saw that. Not only did God see that, man saw that and recognized that in himself. Okay? And I want to point that out because I think that there is some deception going on when we take roles and we conflate them with equality and say, I have to do the exact same thing and be the exact same thing in order for us to have true equality. What's going to be a battle? You say there's got to be equality. Mm-hmm. Okay, like Adam had needs that would never be met. Uh, the woman did receive from the man also. That's right. So she fills in where I'm weakest, and I fill in where she's weakest, and we make a, a good team. That's but right. Some of the people demanding today demand equality. Who's going to submit to meeting the needs of the weaker in an area? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's super important to understand that the roles are different because we were created different. We were created to match and equal each other. We were created to finish one another. And when we accept God's roles in our lives as couples, then we can be as effective as we possibly can. And we, all things can become possible for anything that God has put in front of us in his will. Okay? Why I say that's important is because what you're seeing with, with this movement of equality from the point of we have to have the same roles in order to be truly equal is you're also seeing an attack on the family system. That's what you see. In all these situations, you're going to see attack on the family system because the man can't, can't um, fulfill his role that God gave him and the female can't fulfill her role that God gave her because we're trying to be each other's roles. And that's what's happening. That's why you see the degradation of marriage in, in not just our country, but in the world. That's why you see the degradation of real relationships between man and female, not just in our country, but in the world. Because through this idea that roles equal equality, it's actually made us <coughs> enemies in ways we never would have been before. So one of the common things back before you had quite the amount of security that you have now, especially living in a culture like the United States of America, where you have potentially more freedom than anywhere else in the world and more security, whether you're male or female, more individual rights, more equality. Before those times, well, let me explain it like this. When we were in college, me and Amy had just got married and I was 
playing soccer at a faraway college, and I didn't get home till late at night. And when I got home, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this story with you guys or not. I probably have. Been here for a little while. When I got home, there were pots all over the floor. And I thought, what in the world is going on? Like, there are, my whole kitchen was spread out through the floor. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. I don't want you to think it was that nasty. But there were pots everywhere. And I woke Amy up and I said, what? Why do you have pot? There were bugs under every pot. And she, didn't, she could put the pot on it, but she could not kill the bug. Okay? And I know that might seem silly to some of you, but that's still the case today. My wife would expect one of my, if I'm not home, Nathan or Tyler better get the lizard, better get the wasp, better get the spider, better get the cockroach, because she's going the other way. See, we accept that role. I understand that if something comes to harm my wife or my family, I am expected to be the protector. I, ex I accept that role. Nor would I ever ask her to be the one and me go running in the corner. Although I've definitely seen grown men chasing rats, jumping up on beds with, with brooms in their hands, just so happen to be her dad. Right? But we were expected to get that rat out too at the, at the uh, place we were staying. So... There are roles. Let me give you another one that he is going to bring up in a very clever way later when he gets back to this idea of, in God, we are equal. No matter how much they want to argue this, and I'm talking about the world. Again, just remember, everything that we're living in now, I can almost show you somewhere in the Bible where this has already been happening, this has already been pushed on the world, they have already tried to put all this stuff out before. It's not new. But every person in here was born from a woman. It's not going to change. It's not my role. As much as I might want to have a child, I don't. That's <laughs> okay. I've never felt guiltier about something amazing that me and Amy did together than watching her through her pregnancy. As a man, you feel a little guilty. They go through a lot. But that's their role. And you know what? There is something special that they get through the bonding of the child and the mother in the womb. Like deep, scientific, genetical, amazing things that are happening, right? Like, like the fact that the, the child, when they're born, can lay the head on the mother and know it's the mom just by the heartbeat because they've been listening to it their whole life. Like, that's, that's amazing. It'll never be my role, though. So we can point out these things and we can... You know what... We just need to understand that just because God gave us different roles doesn't mean he doesn't look at us equal. And I just want to get through that before we even get any further. Anybody want to say anything before we move on from that? Carl? Yeah. They keep saying, let's do it this way. And I'm like, well, it's not working. Yeah. So. 
I can tell you as, as a youth minister that's worked with teens from all over the state of Florida for a long time that are most troubled teens, somebody, mom or dad's missing. That's where 90% of the problems come from. One of the most powerful things that any of us can ever have in our life as an influence is parents to have a strong marriage and love the Lord. Okay. The Greeks did it. The Romans did it. I mean, it, it was a common thing. And the Jewish people picked it up. But then when you come across how they're going to shave their heads and et cetera, et cetera, it's a rebellion against society as a whole. Okay. Well, we should talk about the shaved head idea. Now, um, I could show you, and I, I can't, because I don't have all the rights to every picture on the internet. Okay? And that's one of the, one of the difficulties we face with streaming things. All right? But I could show you all the different artifacts that would support the fact that, one, let's get back into head coverings real quick, that head coverings were very, very, very important part of the first and second century after Jesus dies, okay, in culture, that, that um, women wore head coverings pretty much all the time uh, in one shape or another. It doesn't necessarily have to be a hat. It could be a veil. It doesn't have to be a veil. It could be things in your hair that kind of shade you or, I don't know, you'd have to see all the pictures. But the majority of the time, the point of the head covering was to show who she was, who she was with, who was protecting her, whether it was something from her family, whether it was something from her husband. The majority of the time, that's what it was. I will also say that if you look deep into the pottery and the artifacts of this time, you will find plenty of evidence that supports that this was something that women did when it comes to the shaven head for rebellion against gender constraints and roles, for rebellion in the ways of uh, them being lesbians. Um, and there is even a belief, I haven't found too much, I've found some artifacts, but not very many artifacts that you could say, this was also something that would have distinguished somebody to be a priest of certain temples. But imagine being in a church, and this is the thing we also have to understand when we're reading this. We're talking about the greatest missionary that ever lived. Okay? God literally called him to the Gentiles. This is, this is a guy who was planting churches in all kinds of different cultures. Just imagine how different it is. We come, we, we are a, a, a country that is full of many cultures, but when people come here, they don't necessarily just bring all of their cultures with them and expect to keep their cultures. It's kind of all melded into an American culture. Right? But imagine preaching some of the things that you would have to preach in the Middle East. Imagine even going to Israel with the hardcore Jews who don't think Jesus is the Messiah and having to preach some of these things. What he says later is that if a man, he's already said it, I think actually, if a man covers his head, it's a disgrace. 
All the men cover their head. It's a form of worship to them. Right? So he's dealing with the culture of the time, and it's super important um, to understand that as we go forward. The shave head, it's, it's typically for punishment or rebellion. Now that's different here, right? Do we look at culture and you see a man with long hair and you're like, what a disgrace. Some of you might. Huh? Your dad did? Do we look at a woman with short hair and think, what a disgrace? Some men do. That's true. Let me ask you another question before we move on. Can you think of any men with long hair in the Bible that weren't a disgrace? (laughs) Maybe the man of men, right, in the Bible. Not to mention everybody else who took the Nazarite vow. Many Bible scholars believe that Jesus took the Nazarite vow. Have you ever seen a picture of Jesus not saying anybody knew what he looked like, but have you ever seen one where he had short hair? That's because of the belief that he took the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow means you don't shave your hair or your beard. At 33 years old, if he never shaved his hair, never shaved his beard, he'd probably look a little bit more like we envisioned John the Baptist. I mean, the Jesus I see on the cross, on the pictures, he just got out of the bath. And they've like delicately painted on him the blood. I mean, he didn't just come from a beating. Not to mention, how how much did you get a bath back then? I mean, just... Just throwing some stuff out there because I want you to see that what he's talking about is clearly about culture. And it's not in context with the Bible when it comes to some of the arguments that he's making. He's talking to a specific culture. And my mind is all over the place, so I apologize for that. But I've literally been studying this subject for a while. (laughs) So verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now this, I'm going to tell you, verse 10, I have, I have a hard time making sense of. Okay? But we're going to come back to that in a minute. Nevertheless, in the Lord, look at this, because this is where he answers the whole thing. He's brought this cultural argument in because the church is obviously arguing about something going on in their culture, right? Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. Remember we just discussed that. And all things are from God. Never mistake that. God does not look at woman and think she's less than man. He's given us roles. The reason why woman might feel less than man is because man hasn't been doing a very good job of loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Men have not done a good job at times of being the men of God that are deserving of the respect that a woman should follow. These are realities. These are realities. So, anybody want to say anything or add anything or get me out of trouble if I've gotten in any? No, you're not going to help me? You just go, let me sit up here. 
Okay. <laughs> From all that, so, like I said, I always have the commentary window open or whatever, Kaufman's commentary. He said time and time again, they've added words in some of these sections. They're kind of, the translators have added kind of a new meaning. But in this verse, for instance, verse 10, he says to take out the symbol of. So why is why that is why a wife ought to have authority on her head. Yeah. yeah he goes along with what saying. If you just take out a couple, couple symbols, don't look at the that. It's the authority of who you are and what you're trying to represent. I want to say this too. A lot of times we look at this as a well, let me say it this way. I don't know if we do, but I think the world will use this type of scripture against us. Okay? And I want you to understand that part of what the church is dealing with, and maybe even more so in Corinth, which is why it comes out in this letter, is you have a church under a new covenant where man and woman are equal. This is foreign in the world where this, in this time frame. This is something many of us, in one way, shape, or form, maybe not when we were first born, maybe halfway through our life, I don't know when. But I can tell you in my life, I've never lived in a culture, being America, where I felt like, my mother was less than my father. And I can tell you that in spiritual studies that have been done by many different groups, that the number one spiritual influence in almost every child's life is their mother. So I doubt many of those kids are looking at their mother less than their father. Or they wouldn't have put that their mother was their number one influence. I want to go back, though, because, let me see where. Because I'm afraid, and I don't want to ever disrespect, look, some people look at Scripture and they think, they even have an issue with, you know, um, when Paul says, I don't have a direct commandment for this, so here's basically my opinion. That's basically what he says. Some people, um, you know, aren't okay with um, that being opinion. It, because it made it into the Bible, so to speak, because it made it into the leather, it, it's no longer opinion. It's from God. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I try to respect everybody's opinions. I don't think that to follow God, you have to have the exact interpretation of me. So we can be in disagreement at times, even though we go to the same church. Obviously, we don't want to have too much disagreement on doctrinal issues, right? Absolute truths, if you will. Um, but there are times where we can have disagreement. If we're not, then we're not truly being able to interpret the word like it's a letter written to each one of us individually, which it is. Okay? Verse 13. I just hadn't got there yet. Been talking too much. Look what he says after saying all this stuff about head coverings and authority and roles and all, right? He says, Judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. 
Does this run in context with other scripture from Paul in 1 Corinthians? How about the meat in the market? Is that for you to make judgment on or is that for the church to decide for you? It's for each person individually, right? And then if we're like Paul, which he says, be imitators of me, starting off in this chapter, right? As I imitate God. Then we are also supposed to have the attitude where we consider those that we surround ourselves with and we try to become all things to all men. See, this is what he is teaching them. And this is why I started off by telling you guys that the study of of 1 Corinthians is about the culture of the church. There are going to be times where we have disagreement and we have to make judgments for ourselves. That doesn't necessarily make you right and me wrong or me right and you wrong. At some point in time, we're all going to have to admit that even in our, in our greatest strength, in our, in our most, um, using every power, all the power that we have to try to interpret the word of God, that it's the word of God and we are feeble men. So even the best of us aren't going to get everything right. Mike? I have a wedding in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the couple had dated for three and a half years. And she came to me and she says, I can't go through with the wedding. And I said, what do you mean you can't go through with the wedding? You've been dating for three and a half years. She said, he's too much a wimp to meet my needs. I think she was dead on. If you have only one person in the marriage, you don't have a marriage. Mm-hmm. So, again, I do think this is one of those things where we have to make decisions for ourselves at times. And So let me finish this verse. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? See, I was getting ahead of myself. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So I want to I say this too. I had a um, professor at OVU. His name was Dr. Terry. He was, he was uh, the one I respected absolutely the most. Um, his Bible knowledge was incredible. His character was impeccable. Um, just opened his house to us. Shared a lot of love in his family with us. His wife wore a hat to service every Sunday. In our class to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Right in First Corinthians, in our class where we went through First Corinthians, where he focused on First Corinthians chapter eleven, he made it very clear to all of us that he personally believed that this was strictly a cultural issue from all the stuff we've already stated tonight. There's, the, but his wife didn't, and she felt like when she was older, and her she got rid of her long hair because her hair was not nice anymore, she felt like out of respect for her husband, she should wear a hat. If that's what you want to do, do it. 
If that's how you look at this scripture and you think you need to because you've gotten older and you're wearing your hair short, then do it. You know the Church of Christ was actually known 50 years ago because we had hats hanging in all of our backs were. <laughs> Go ahead. Worshipped all over the United States and several places that we worshipped, they believe that women should wear hats. And uh, we usually did not continue to worship there. Dad would find another congregation because they felt that was legalism and the Bible doesn't teach that. Because if you go overseas to another country, you have a whole different set of cultural things. He didn't, you know, he didn't disrupt the congregation because they believe that. He just went to another church of Christ yeah. or we started one because we had that's usually indicative of other regulations that you're going to find at that church besides True. just that because they just tend to do that and just a side thing in most of the versions I have it doesn't use the word wife it uses woman yeah so just so you know I always use the ESV um, and I only use it because it's based on modern language the most historically accurate version that's all doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. They all make mistakes. I'm not, I, um, yeah. Okay, if you're not married, none of this applies to you. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't. I think he was talking about it in general um, from the culture aspect. And yeah, I, um, I agree with you that to me, if I were to take the approach of every woman needed to go back and get a, ha a hat, it, it's, it's, so we have to be careful, let me say it this way too, because legalism is a super important concept that we definitely are going to have to spend some time talking on where we pretend like everything is just black and white and there is nothing that deals with culture and that everything is um, book, line, and verse and, and there, there's no discernment in it. Um, there are plenty of people that I've come across in my life where they think every, every single question is black and white. And I take them to the meat sacrifice to idols, and they don't know what to do with that typically because in their diagram where everything is black and white, they can't imagine a world where to somebody it's okay and to somebody else it's not. And guess what? Under the umbrella of God, it's okay. Okay? Legalism is dangerous because here's, here's what legalism does. And I've seen it. I've lived through it, I've experienced it in good relationships, in bad relationships, I've seen it in good churches, in bad churches, I should say healthy and unhealthy churches, because I, I don't mean bad churches, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> the problem with legalism is my interpretation becomes the word of God. Therefore, the way I read the Bible becomes the actual God that I serve. And how is that any different than me serving myself? The problem with legalism is, why do I need anybody else? Why did God give me a church of people that were going to have different ideas if I could find all the right ideas, if everything was so black and white that I could come up with every answer? But why do I need y'all? The problem with legalism is we get to the point to where we're the only church that does the interpretation that we've all settled on and therefore, every other church out there isn't the church. Well, who has the right to say that except for Jesus Christ? The problem with legalism is, again, 
that if you don't agree with my interpretation, then you just haven't read the Bible enough to be where I'm at, or you just don't have a good enough relationship with God to be able to interpret the word the way I do. I could go on and on. And that's why I would say to you, if this is your opinion and you think you need to wear a head covering, I'm going to re- reference you to the meat sacrificed idols and say, if that's where you come away from this conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, by all means, start wearing hats. I will be the last person to judge you. But if, you <laughs> but if my wife gets a short haircut tomorrow, I'm not going to force her to wear a hat. That's me. <clears throat> Okay. Any other comments? Maybe I'm reading it wrong. It says we have no such practice. Is the practice being contentious or is a practice what he's been talking about all along? Okay, okay, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And Paul, I'm coming to you next. I'm glad that you brought that up because it's very interesting. I thought this was very plainly exactly what you read is what I read. But as I studied this more, there are people who believe exactly the way we read it, and then there's people who believe that what Paul is saying is that, hey, in other places where this is part of the culture, they're not even arguing about it, they're just doing it. All through the church. What I read is, y'all are the only ones arguing about it. That's what I read. Um... I've been wrong before, probably be wrong again. Mike used to say, pay, pay your quarter, pick your prize, pick, whatever. <laughs> it's not my saying, it's his. <laughs> I know it started with something like that, and I knew exactly what he meant by it. Car, um, let me go to Paul real quick. There's another cultural aspect to this passage. If I'm not mistaken, this passage is talking about public worship. Yeah, And in that context, it's talking about women praying and prophesying in a public setting. Yes, it is. That's culturally different than what we're used to. That is. That would that'd be culturally different than just about... We're talking about wearing coverings when they prayed and prophesied in a public setting. Okay. So do you think if a woman were to pray and prophesy, are you saying that if a woman were to pray and prophesy in a public setting today, they would need a government? That when they're praying and prophesying in this public setting, they should have a head covering. It, it does. I just don't know where you're trying to lead. Cultural difference from us today. Another yes. cultural difference. Yeah. It's... <laughs> No, you're good. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, since he said it, I guess we can go back and just look at what he was saying there. I was kind of shocked nobody brought it out. But since he brought it up, we can read it together. Thanks, Paul. It says, every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as her head were shaven. Um, what Paul's pointing out to you is that that's in New Testament worship, that's, he said it, and so does the Bible. Um, 
right? Yeah. Going back to that equality thing. Go ahead, Mike. He's kind of deep, usually. His name's Poole, and he, he interprets it just like Paul told you. It was, he didn't use the big words, but Paul was right on. Well, I think it's important to understand, since we're discussing this, that with that being the case, there's still a role. And that role in the church is clear in that role in the um, in the marriage is clear, and we can have a discussion on women's roles on another night. Okay, um, but this is one of the strongest arguments in Scripture for women being active in worship in the New Testament. Me personally, in my conscience, when I deal with stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, I feel we argue over it because maybe it's not so clear, or maybe some things were meant for that time. Because if it was so clear, like the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we wouldn't argue about it. Everyone believes the same thing about that. Mm -hmm. But I leave it up to the elders. So that's what I, I mean. I, I went to a church, Church of Christ in Deltona. He wanted everyone on Sunday to wear a tie. So we wore a tie. And the Bible doesn't say that, but I leave that kind of stuff up to the elders. You know, like one, of my, one of my friends. He, 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 the way he did this was he told his wife not to cut her hair and she dishonored him and she didn't cut her hair and that's, that was between them you know? sure. and that's the way they did it and, and I think it's kind of be left up between the man and the woman on that but that, that's what she did for him, she didn't cut her hair yeah, well I, first of all what you and your wife decide in your, in your marriage to honor one another I, I mean, who's to judge who's to judge that um, and how you deal with scripture on that, on that level, I think like I said, I believe man and woman are here to complete each other. And I think there's very few men in the world, like Paul, who can do everything that God wants them to do without a wife. I just, I see that all the way back at the very beginning of creation. So I don't, depending on how you are reading this is also depending on where you line up on some of this cultural argument, right? Also depending on how you read it is how you were trained to read it. So I don't see him as making an argument to degrade any woman in this scripture, although a lot of times that's the way it's been taken. In fact, I see it as an argument for um, equality and an argument that, but there is roles that are established by God. And imagine being in a Greek culture where women are actually starting to become freer. They're not, they're not free like we are today, but they are actually becoming freer and then having the church explode on your, on your platform there. And the women are coming in and they're saying, God doesn't see sex. God doesn't see gender. Right? The two become one. Right? There's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew. And what that could have possibly turned into. Because understand this too, we're about to get into... A bunch of aspects of worship. Okay? Of public worship. And in those aspects of public worship, we're going to find out that Corinth is kind of all over the place in that category too. So, um, I agree with you, Carl, that 
every church has an eldership for a reason, and there are certain things that we have to just follow what our elders decide and, and, and back them. And if we can't follow our elders, we should probably find another church rather than create a problem and a division and a faction in your own. Okay? Anybody else? No? Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to save the really good stuff for next week. Um, Because we still have quite a lot to get through there. 31, it's 31 verses. So uh, let's just pray one more time real quick before we end for tonight. God, we come before you and we're we're humbled by your word. Lord, there's so much to consider. We certainly don't want to bow down to our culture, but we also want to be biblical in every approach that we make in life, Father. And some of these um, passages of your word show us just how how feeble we are, just how, how tough it is to navigate even just the truth of, God, of your word, the, the truth that you represent in, in the world. I just can't imagine everything that Paul went through as he went church planting in all these different cultures with all these different customs and traditions, I can't imagine the difficulties that came up between personal opinions and interpretations of Scripture. And then I also realized that this first generation, and even into some of the second generation, didn't even have your Scriptures written down for them to look at. They were just passed on through mouth until the letters were written. But even when the letters were written, they were not mass-produced right away, and they weren't into public circulation. God, I'm grateful for your word. I I don't always understand every part of it. I don't always even know how to interpret all of it. God, I know it's from you, and I trust you. And I just pray as we all... um, get into your word and, and, and are thinking about your word and, and trying to put the things that we read in context with the rest of your scripture. I just, I just pray we do it in unity, not in division and factions like the church of Corinth struggle with so mightily. Father, we thank you for your son, for the blood on the cross that was shed to give us grace and mercy because the gift's too good to earn and what we deserve, you took upon yourself. There's no way to repay that. But we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Class is dismissed for tonight. I'm out of here.